Uh, man, it, it was it was a challenge to 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 know how to end this year because if for those of you that have been with us all year and those of you that are just catching up, we have spent the entirety of the year minus a few little stepping outs to step into other parts of the Word of God. We've spent the entirety of the year in the early parts of the Old Testament. And, and what the, the uh, Hebrews would call the, the books of the law. And we're going to wrap that up just a little bit today. Uh, we we kind of left Moses just hanging out. Does anybody realize that? Or is it just me? That we we took our lessons from the desert and we just kind of left Moses. And and I, I really feel that God wants us to to close out the story of Moses. And if if you're an Old Testament reader, for a long time I looked at this and, and I I'll be honest, I'm still struggling with this part of scripture because it, it doesn't really seem fair that Moses did all that he does. And spoiler alert here, he doesn't get to go to the promised land. And and I that's what I wrestled with. And and it's it's kind of interesting that it turns out that way because the the question that came to mind, and uh, if you're on Facebook, no one up here at the platform is going to reply to you because my wife doesn't love her cell phone as much as other people love theirs. It's sitting at home on a charger. So, <clears throat> but somebody in the audience can reply so that people that are online can, can join in with us as well. But looking back, how have you changed over the past year? This is a hard question, and that's okay, because a lot of times we, we go surface level and just look at events in our life and how different events changed. Uh, I can walk 100 feet from where I'm living right now, and I can see drastic changes to where I'm going to be hopefully living a year from now. And, and that's really interesting, but that really doesn't do me any good when I walk into a classroom full of middle schoolers. If God's not consistently changing my heart and my life, I'm not going to be able to help him consistently change the hearts and lives of others. So the question is, how have you changed over the past year? And that can be physically, emotionally, spiritually, mentally. Hopefully some of you got smarter over the last year. Some of us have gotten smart enough to know we're not as smart as we think we are. Man, grad school is humbling me out every day. But looking at the past year from what we've heard in this room, and I tried to simplify it. This is way oversimplified. If, if you weren't here and you want to catch up, we are on Apple Podcasts now. You can go back. This is a free advertisement. We're on Apple Podcasts, so you can find us really easy. You don't have to ask the Google anything. And I'm not going to say that other person's name because she'll kick on all over the room. And oh, oh, yeah. Anyways, pretty sure she's the Antichrist. But 
God created everything. If you go back to Genesis, we learn that God created everything and God said that it was good. And, and I want you to understand that God still says it's good. You get out and you enjoy the beauty of nature. It's because God intended you to. It is still good. And, and there's people that want to argue about that. You know, let that baby cry, mama. She is good. <laughs> that right there is the evidence we needed this morning. But man misplaced the desire that God gave us. And it broke the relationship between man and God. And I want you to understand, it broke it from our end. God's love for mankind was there when He spoke us, when He put His hands on us. We're the only part of creation it says He put His hands on and He formed us. And He breathed His life into us. He breathed His breath, His spirit. The Hebrew word is ruach. Into us. And His view of us has never changed. He desired from the very beginning to partner with us to reveal His never-ending love for mankind. Even when Adam and Eve messed up in the garden, God still, God took the time to compassionately build clothing for them and to put them out of the garden where they couldn't make a permanent mistake. And something that we can't emphasize enough, that, that all sins and mistakes are a temporary mistake if you choose to let them be. By accepting Jesus Christ, your sin became temporary. And it's replaced with the eternal blood and covering of Jesus Christ where you step out of the temporary and into the eternal. And these are some big concepts in very simple terms. And God had a plan all along the way. And I, I really hope if you walk out with nothing else this morning, you walk out with a confident hope that God has a plan. He has a plan. But, 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 there is no but. You're going to have to go through some things on that plan. The plan took mankind through the flood. Where God, after the flood, He chose a family to work with directly. And that family was a messed up, dysfunctional family. Praise God. They were not perfect. They were so messed up. Read the, go read Genesis. Man, Abraham's family is messed up. Praise God. He took that family through a famine, through slavery, delivered them from slavery, and he entered into a, a wedding type relationship with them that took them into the desert on an exodus to learn more about his goodness. And that's kind of where we left the story. We learned a lot of lessons in the desert about who God wants us to be. And, and we'll get to see a little glimpse of that again today. But the, the main character that we left off with studying was Moses. And we're going to end our year with one more lesson from the life of Moses. Quite possibly the greatest lesson I think we can learn from Moses. Uh, a lot of people like to emphasize Moses' friendship with God. And, and this is a part of that lesson. 
that Moses and God were friends. Just like God has invited us to be friends with him. And, and we pick this up in Numbers chapter 20. And the people of Israel, the whole congregation, came into the wilderness of Zin. And the first month, the people stayed in Kadesh. And Miriam died there and was buried. If you were following along in the story, we find out, you know, Moses was a basket case. Well, no, okay. He was a baby who was put into a basket and shoved into the Nile uh, rather than being thrown in the Nile to drown and be eaten by crocodiles. God let Pharaoh's daughter see Moses and hear the cry of a baby and, and no woman in her right mind can just reject the cry of a baby. She adopted Moses. Moses was raised for 40 years in the palace of Pharaoh. The end of that 40-year period was marked by Moses starting to reconnect with his Hebrew heritage, and he gets angered at an Egyptian taskmaster and actually kills him and flees the country for fear of being held accountable for murder. This is the guy that's going to lead God's people. You know, he's a murderer. He goes to the backside of the wilderness in the desert and he becomes a shepherd working for his father-in-law. Um, notice he was not a cattle rancher because I don't know if he would have made it long working with no experience working cattle with his father-in-law. Okay, my wife's not even grinning at that because that was one of my first experiences in the family was working cattle with my in-laws. Praise God, I grew up with grandparents who let me work cattle and wasn't my first rodeo. As everybody learned quickly when I bulldogged a, a rebel calf down to the ground and held it down looking around like, who's going to come brand this thing? And they're like, no, we run them through the chute. <laughs> it's like, well, <clears throat> there, there went the end of my first rodeo. But... Moses spends 40 years on the backside of the desert taking care of sheep and God appears to him in a burning bush and says, go and, and you'll, you'll speak to Pharaoh and you'll deliver my people where Moses again you know, argues with God, which is really cool because over and over in the story, we're going to see that Moses and God have a good enough friendship that Moses gets to ask questions. He gets to, in a respectful manner, disagree with God. And God always takes him back. And God always welcomes and invites him into the story. Which, if, if you got nothing else out of that part of the series, I, I hope you got that God's okay with your questions. And God is always going to be inviting you into the story that he has for you. Moses goes back to Egypt and he reconnects with his family, Aaron and Miriam. And I still wonder, and I haven't done my due diligence on this, whether Aaron was a much older brother than him or if Aaron was a much younger brother because there was a long period of Egyptian history where Hebrew boys were thrown in the Nile and killed. And the only account that we have in Moses' early days was of a sister who watched him in the reeds, which... Doesn't take a great detective here, Sherlock. That was Miriam. And, 
and at our current point in the story after the exodus where we get plagues we get god moving in mighty and miraculous ways god smiting down all of the gods of egypt and finally lastly the the would-be god king pharaoh himself feels the wrath of god do the children of israel get to leave and they've been in the desert god has given them the law and we come to this point in the story where miriam dies Now, the, this is where the struggle comes in. She died and was buried there. If you go on to read about when Aaron dies, there's a massive celebration of the life of Aaron. If you go on to when Moses dies, one of the things that they do just before Joshua begins to lead them into the promised land is they celebrate the life of Moses. Miriam doesn't get a celebration. Instead, they bury Miriam and almost immediately after, now there was no water for the congregation. And they assembled themselves together against Moses and against Aaron. How many of you want to deal with that shortly after the funeral of your sibling? That everybody's assembling against you and blaming you for the fact there is no water. If I'm Moses, I'm probably a really bad leader here. I'm like, duh, we're in the desert. But that's not how Moses respond. And the quarrel people the people quarreled against Moses and said, Would that we had perished when our brothers perished before the Lord. Okay, we we'd have to go way back to some of those stories. Why have you brought the assembly of the Lord? I love how they do that. They they want to claim God's goodness, but they don't want to act like God's people. Why have you brought the assembly of the Lord into this wilderness? It's your fault we're here, Moses. <laughs> Woo! Get ready for some of that. If you want to be, if you want to lead people to the Lord, they're going to blame you for a whole lot of stuff you didn't do. Did Moses choose the destination for this honeymoon? No. He's part of the bride, just like everybody else. God chose the destination. That we should die here, both we and our cattle. And why have you made us come up out of Egypt to bring us to this evil place? And it blows my mind. This is almost 40 years they've been in the desert. And they're still talking about how good they had it in Egypt. How good they had it as slaves. How good they had it as their children were victims of genocide. Man, if, I love you people. If, if you people acted like the Egyptians, I would call you horrible names. I, I would not be a good Moses. Or, or maybe I would, I don't know. <laughs> it is no place for grain or figs or vines or pomegranates, and there is no water to drink. Captain Obvious existed in early AD, or BC, BC, BCE. They keep changing it. The rules change every year. BCE and CE, because they don't want to, anyways, nobody speaks Latin anymore. 
Then Moses and Aaron went from the presence of the assembly to the entrance of the tent of meeting and fell on their faces. When life gets tough, go fall on your face before God. And the glory of the Lord appeared to them, and the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Take the staff and assemble the congregation, you and Aaron your brother, and tell the rock before their eyes to yield its water. So you shall bring water out of the rock for them and give to drink the congregation and their cattle. I love that God cares about our cows. Okay? If, if you don't love that, you're in the wrong building. Because if you don't love cows, you don't love steak. And if you don't love steak, you're not my kind of people. Because I love me some steak. That's what we're having for supper. <laughs> and Moses took the staff from before the Lord as he commanded him. Okay, this is where I have to pause and remind us about the staff. That all throughout the story, we have got to hear about staffs. And the staff that Moses carried was a symbol of his leadership to the people from God. And it was a symbol they recognized because Pharaoh also carried a staff. And the way that Pharaoh used his staff was supposed to be drastically different from the way Moses used his. Pharaoh used a staff to intimidate and to subjugate people and to keep them under his rule. Moses was supposed to take the staff to lead the people and to show them that God had the authority and God was building a kingdom, not an empire. Then Moses gathered the assembly together before the rock and he said to them, Hear now, you rebels. This is more how I would talk to you. Hear now, you rebels. Shall we bring water for you out of this rock? And Moses lifted up his hand and struck the rock with his staff twice. And water came out abundantly and the congregation drank and their livestock. You guys have been with me long enough. Bells are going off in your head. Wait, 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 Moses, you just messed up. And, you know, since you're standing there and did nothing about it, you've done messed up, A.A. Hey, hey, Ron. He's there. Aaron's there. He didn't swing the staff, but he didn't stop Moses from doing it either. Because what had God said? What did God say? Speak to the rock. What did Moses do? He hit it not once, but twice. And the Lord said to Moses and to Aaron, because you did not believe in me to uphold me as holy in the eyes of the people of Israel, therefore you shall not bring this assembly into the land I have given them. These are the waters of Meribah where the people of Israel quarreled against the Lord or quarreled with the Lord and through them he showed himself holy. Ouch. That's the struggle. This is the part of the story I absolutely struggled with because you know, it wasn't five weeks ago we were talking about God and he's full of mercy. And he forgives to a thousand generations. And he chooses not to forgive Moses of this insurrection. 
I, I wrestled with this because this is the, the one time that we have in Scripture where Moses blatantly disobeyed God. And I'm telling you, I don't think Moses was completely in his right mind when he did it. And, and we have to look back and see that Moses already had history that very easily he just went into autopilot of sorts. Because if you go to Exodus 17, and, and I'll just tell you the story for the sake of speeding it up, remind you because many of you have already heard it, that there was again no water and God first tells Moses, hey, grab your staff and take the elders of Israel so they can witness this and I will stand before the rock. I'm going to stand before it and you're going to smite the rock. They're going to see you smite the rock, but not only that, they're going to see you smite my presence. You're going to hit me and you're not just going to hit me. The, the word there is... Uh, Nakah. You're going to nakah the rock, which means to strike with a lethal blow. You're going to show them that I'm willing to be struck with a deadly blow and I'm still going to give you life-giving water. What a, what a picture of Jesus. Because Jesus would become the living water. And... And the, the Hebrew origins we learned in our lessons in the desert, living water is water that comes from a rock that nobody knows where it starts or where it ends. And, and that was the original precedent. This time, though, God's not telling him to show the world anything. He says, go speak to the rock. But leading up to the double striking of the rock, you have to understand Moses had endured three different times complaints about water. One of them being bitter waters where they, he took a stick, just a common stick. God wasn't going to use the rod because he didn't want people to think there was power in the rod itself. So God takes this bitter water and has Moses drop a stick that they found on the ground into the water and turned the bitter water to sweet, where God declared himself to be Jehovah Rapha. And then they fought the Amalekites. You remember the story of fighting the Amalekites? The rod was present at each of these events. The rod where, where they fought the Amalekites, Moses held the rod above his head. And he couldn't do it alone. He had to have help. Aaron and her help hold up his arms. And as long as his arms were up, they win the battle. If his arms came down, they would lose. And then they come to a point where there's no water and he strikes the rock. Showing God to be enough to take the, the deadliest blow mankind could give. And he would forgive, not only with forgiveness, but with abundance giving life. And then we go on and his sister dies with no public acknowledgement or mourning for her passing. And what's interesting, if you go back to the scripture, the chapter before Miriam passes away, God specifically went through the cleansing rituals that you had to have in order to deal with the dead body so that you would not be unclean. 
I mean, right before Miriam dies. You want to talk about God gently delivering the news that, hey, you're going to lose somebody. And immediately after that, where there's no acknowledgement from the people that, that should care the most about Moses, they come and they complain again. I think Moses at this point is burnt out. He's burnt out. He's, he's tired of leading these people. They're, they're exactly who God said them to be. They're stiff-necked. They're stubborn. They're rebellious. They're complainers. They're whiners. And I look at it and I think, man, that's exactly who I am a lot of times. I'm just like the children of Israel. I'm not like Moses. Praise God, I'm not up here telling you I'm burnt out. I'm not like Moses. I'm like the children of Israel. Things don't go my way. I want to take my ball and go home. And Moses is 120 years old. That's rough. I, I pray that God gives me a lot of years, but I don't know that I want to try and lead people at 120. There's going to be something besides a rock getting hit with a stick if I'm leading at 120. Moses is burnt out and he's done. And what's interesting is when God says that to Moses and Aaron, there's no account in Scripture of them going and trying to make atonement or trying to change God's mind. I think one of, the, one of the most beautiful things that we overlook in the story is that Moses and Aaron trusted God enough that when God says, hey, you're not going to be that guy, Moses doesn't fight him on this one. And, and maybe that's a, a subtle message to some of us today that you're, you've been working so hard to reach that friend or that loved one with the gospel that maybe you have to just take a step back and realize that you were called to plant seed, not rape the harvest. That's tough. I, I want to be the one that leads each of my kids to Jesus, but that's not probably how it's going to go. I'm going to get to sow seed. I, I love it when young people in our church go to church camp and something that God speaks through a minister there finally rings the bell and they ask Jesus into their heart. I love that. Am I jealous? You betcha, I'm human. I wanted to be the one to get to pray that with them. I don't care who prays it with them as long as they pray it. One of these days we'll be dancing and singing around the throne because they finally, finally somebody rang their bell. The other part of the story is God's love for Moses doesn't end there. He does take the mantle of leadership and pass it on to someone he's been preparing right there in front of our eyes the whole time. If you go back through the Exodus and through the giving of the law and Deuteronomy and Numbers and just watch how many times Joshua is mentioned and how Yeshua or Joshua stayed in the tent of meeting with the Lord. Where Moses went out to do the work, 
Joshua was developing a friendship with God unlike any other. Because God's going to ask Joshua to do some terrible things. And, and that's, that's a hard pill to swallow because God's going to ask him to do terrible things when we get to the book of Joshua. And I'm just cracked enough. I'm really excited about that. But he's looking for someone to lead with his voice and not with the staff. You're not going to hear of Joshua carrying a staff very often. It's really not a good weapon in war. And Joshua is a warrior. Which, I hate to bust some of your bubble, Joshua is another pronunciation of the name of Jesus. And if you don't see Jesus as a warrior, you and I are not looking at the same Jesus. There's going to be some people that struggle with Jesus when he comes back, according to the book of Revelation, because he's going to have a sword that comes out of his mouth. It means he's bringing a weapon to fight. And he's going to have a tattoo on his leg. That's going to hurt some people's ideology in a hurry. But I read the book for what it says. And it says, on his thigh is inscribed the name, King of Kings. And Lord of Lords. I'm not telling you to go get tattoos, by the way, college age kids. I'm not, I'm not endorsing that. I'm not condemning it, but I'm not endorsing it either. I'm going to be that fence rider. I can, I can ride the fence. God was merciful enough that he let Moses see the promised land. He let him see it. And then he personally handles Moses' funeral. And the rest of the story there is prior to this, Aaron has died. And Moses has no family left other than his wife and children who don't get mentioned much in Scripture because God didn't want to pass a legacy onto the children of Moses. God was bringing a different leader that they needed in Joshua. But God loved Moses enough. He did his funeral. That, that is, uh, having preached a few funerals, that is an act of love. It, it is difficult. And, and it's really difficult when it's someone you know. And uh, I can't imagine doing that for someone who was a really close, close friend. Someday I'll be there. But how are you looking at the new year? Are you looking at it as a promised land? I mean, there, there's a lot of people that look forward to New Year's and they say, yep, I'm going to start that new diet. It's going to be a brand new me. I'm going to start that exercise program. I'm going to start. They have this list of things. I'm not going to say that R word anymore today. But they have that plan and... The new year is the promised land. If I can just get through today, it's a new year. Unless you're talking to the tax people and then you're still in, never mind. We won't talk about taxes. But is it a promised land to you? I get excited about new years. I really do. I, I'm really excited for this year. I got a lot going on. 
I'm absolutely pumped. They formed up the footers for the addition and poured concrete in them. I mean, it's about go time. They get that thing framed, decked and wrapped. Then it's time for me to show off how bad a carpenter I am. And I don't mean bad like the 90s and the 80s. No, I'm, I'm talking, I'm gonna have to watch YouTube and make sure I learn how to do this stuff. And then away we go. But to end the year, I want you to understand that God puts a premium on leading with your voice. From this moment on, when you read the Old Testament, you're going to see God putting a high premium on leading with your voice. Almost every incident of the miraculous will be speaking, engaged. We talked about it a little bit in Sunday school when when Elijah talks to Ahab and, and sets off the, the, uh, the drought, he doesn't go in there and swing a stick and smack the, the ground in front of Ahab. He goes in and he says, guess what? I'm going to pray, which means I'm going to speak the words, and it's not going to rain until I pray again and ask for it to rain because God told me to do that. And then when it was time to rain, he prayed multiple times before the drought broke. Again, leading with his voice. We're going to see it over and over and over again. And we'll see moments where people try and step out of that. And almost every time that someone acts in the physical, there are repercussions. And what's crazy is the Spirit of God rushes on them. They do these mighty things, but then they find a way to mess it up. We can talk about Samson. We can talk about David. We can talk about numerous judges in the Old Testament. Kings in the Old Testament. But leadership will be tied to speaking. And then Jesus doubles down on this. And He answers them. And, and this was after Peter was astonished that where Jesus cursed a fig tree, that it withered up and died. Jesus answered them, have faith in God. Truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes what he says will come to pass, it will be done for him. Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. Again, leading with your voice. And the book wraps up with it in Revelation. They have conquered him by the blood of the lamb and the word of of their testimony. And in Greek, that is the spoken word. That isn't you just have the story in your heart. Okay, if you're happy and you know it, let your mouth say it. If you're saved and you know it, declare your testimony by the words of your mouth. For they love not their lives even unto death. If we're looking at the new year as a promised land, let me give you the cold hard truth. Okay, cold hard truth about the promised land. It is blessed. But along the way, God's going to ask you to help break down walls and conquer well-established inhabitants. And that may be in your own life. You may have habits and ideas and ways of thinking that are not pleasing to God that look like the fortified cities of the promised land. The 16 foot wide walls of Jericho. And I probably got that number wrong. 
Don't get mad at me, Scott. The other thing that the promised land is full of, giants, the sons of Anak, stuff that there's no way on your own you're going to conquer them. But that's why it's a promised land. That you're going to have to go standing on the promises and you're going to have to end Moses with the beginning of Joshua. This is God's direct words to Joshua as we look forward to the new year. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. If, if nothing else, memorize that verse. And then if you haven't done the diligence to know how God was with Moses, go study it. Because as I was with Moses, so will I be with you. Moses was God's best friend. That, that's a hard pill to swallow. He was his best friend and God said, you're not going to the promised land. I read Revelation. I don't think God's through with Moses either. But, but he tells Joshua, he promises him, you're going to face hard things. I'm going to ask you to do hard things. But I'll never leave you and I will never forsake you. I'll give you a little spoiler. Joshua's not going to win every fight. Joshua's going to get beat up some. Welcome to 2024. Everybody's like, sign me up. I'm going to get beat up. Pastor said it. Now you really need to hear what pastor said. You might get beat up. But as God was with Moses, he'll be with you. He'll never leave you. I love when God used the word never. I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. Because when God says it, that's it. He doesn't go back on his word. Which was so hard for me to reconcile with the story of Moses. But God never promised Moses he was going to lead him to the promised land. God said he would be with him as he spoke to the people. God said, I will show you the way you should go. If you keep my statutes, you will be a priceless treasure to me. God never promised Moses the promised land. That's why I want to be a Joshua. <laughs> Heavenly Father, thank you for today.